Hello, welcome to the Comic Connoisseurs. Tonight we'll be talking about the ever-shifting uh, balance between storytelling and realism in comics, suspension of disbelief, and of course I'm my co-host, J.D. from Saskatoon. Good evening. Also with us is Red Ink. I'm Batman. <laughs> so, this topic is something that came up when we talked about how in comic books, uh, you know, 30, 40 years ago, you could have a character get cut and bleed a little bit and their secret identity was safe but nowadays someone gets cut and there's blood somewhere oh that's dna evidence they could use the dna if not to find out who you are to find out you know at least a relative or at least genealogy um characters well, go ahead Red. in that there's still some fucking fantasy because in tv shows and comics and shit like that they're like oh we found his blood we have his dna is then in real life you got a question are they fucking registered well, like I said, if not, they won't. <laughs> finding you, no. But lots of people have family members that took all those tests, and you can find out. Oh, this person is a sibling of, or a cousin of, blah 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 blah. Yeah, but now, well, you can, like Red said, yeah, it's whether or not they're registered. They're, they're, they always talk about, you know, they're going through CODIS or the, this database, that database, and that's entirely believable. But it's what isn't, and whether or not they have relatives or there there's like a familial match with like three receptors or whatever there it's the speed at which they get the dna results because in real life dna you don't get those back for like a couple of weeks to two months and they get it like they found it at a crime scene 20 minutes ago it took them like 15 minutes to get back to the lab they put it in the centrifuge scanner or whatever for like five seconds and it kicks back this guy that they were talking to earlier that they wrote off because oh, there's no way he's involved all of a sudden he's the killer like it's the speed not the accuracy at which uh investigation or investigational methods like that work that you know strains suspension of disbelief because you know just in general reading comics watching movies playing video games like you accept that this is a work of fiction so apparently physics is their bitch it's you know kind of like what i said before the show like i accept that spider-man probably doesn't get like blackouts from head rushes when he free dives off a skyscraper in nyc because he's got that superhuman body you know he's got the strength the speed the enhanced reflexes and all that so he can handle the g's but matt murdoch at best has enhanced senses the rest of his body like his muscles his reaction time while supremely honed are not superhuman they're above human olympic levels even but how is he not like taking a header right into sidewalk after blacking out after diving off the empire state building let alone how at that speed that a human body is falling how is he able to throw out the belly club cable and not wrench his shoulder completely out of the socket let alone off his body from the momentum and everything involved that is a very good question i remember actually uh chuck dixon tried to uh address that once in uh in uh batgirl year one there's a scene where barbara gordon is on the roof of a you know skyscraper and she's about to jump and batman and robin are watching from afar and they're discussing whether or not she's going to jump 
It was Speed Breaker. Um, yeah, yeah. Sitting for the Batman. You're, you're the not. Batman. You're not wrong. She jumps, and uh, before the her the cable she's using to jump with gets snug, Batman cuts it, and Robin catches her. And Robin has explained to her that she bought industrial cable online, and it's not meant to have a certain amount of give that uh, their lines have. And it would have pulled her arm clean out of the socket if she used it. Yeah, and, and speaking about the cables and, you know, suspension of disbelief, like, you guys have seen uh, Batman Under the Red Hood, like the animated film, right? Yes. Mm. Yeah, one of my favorite little things in that is when uh, Dick and Bruce are back in the Batcave, you know, reviewing the gameplay footage, and they see Jason, I mean, the Red Hood, uh, they comment on how he sliced through Batman's cable. Now, you know, you had Batgirl with that industrial cable that doesn't have this give, and then you have the custom Batman tech that's building his cable that, you know, it could take the weight. It's got some give, but not too much. And, you know, what kind of blade would it take to cut something that Batman made? But, you know, when you think about the suspension of disbelief, like, by this point in the story, Red Hood's proven to be pretty formidable. So, yeah, and it leads to the ongoing mystery of who is the Red Hood. Like, they even talk about that. Like, how many blades can cut my line? Not many, Dick says. And there's there's other things, too, that strain suspension and disbelief, but we let it go because entertainment value. Like, the explanation for Spider-Man sticking to walls. Depends there are on many... Many yeah, but I mean, I'm I'm thinking primarily about whoever first came up with the the words biological Velcro. Well, which, just just let me go for one second. So, like, see, they they gave you all sorts of Marvel pseudoscience gobbledygook that you know it's some sort of low level psionic thing, blahdy blahdy blah. And it, I mean, it works for because it's comic books, and of course you can stick to walls because of this. I like the much more tangible explanation from the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies that because yeah. well you don't actively see the hairs but I mean it he was bitten by a genetic disgusting. I I know it's gross red but just go with me here it makes more sense that after getting bit by the genetically altered spider and literally having his DNA tweaked if not absolutely changed that he develops the spider hairs that all spiders have and that's why spiders are able to grip to like practically every surface and climb like that that to me makes much more sense and i don't that doesn't strain my suspension of disbelief as much as biological velcro i don't know about biological velcro but my favorite explanation is the one that's in spider girl where they explain how because spider girl is developing different powers from the fucking that her dad that her dad has, because she can can't she can just she can stick to objects, she can stick people to objects, and she can repel objects. Yeah, and it's explained that she has like Superman a biologic, uh, like a bioelectric aura around her that allows her to stick to things, and they explain like nothing she'll be able to stick onto Teflon, but she can still fucking do it kind of thing. And the other thing about this, about that specifically, is uh, that explanation actually semi ties into some older appearances of Electro, where, where I believe one of the writers 
around that time said Spider-Man's sticking ability was tied to static electricity somehow. That died really quickly, but the Electro disrupts it so he can't stick as well. Sometimes he slips off. Like like Red said, how does Spider-Man stick? Take your pick. <laughs> no, I mean, that's fair. I mean, there's also the, with, with Spider-Man, uh, something that I think, it, it's not necessarily a straining of the suspension of disbelief is so much you just have to expect there are some weird shit in comics that there is no explanation for is it, it's been said for many years like until he had parker industries that there was no real tech in spider-man's suit but the way his uh eyepieces are manipulated like you know when he's mad he's pissed at wolverine they, they shrink down to slits or when he's surprised they like bug out like anime style because I've actually had a conversation with a friend about that before. He said, that's strange suspension of disbelief. Is like, that's what breaks you, not the guy that is smart enough to create this industrial-grade adhesive that when it disintegrates after an hour, or the fact that he can bench-press a city bus or climb on walls. No, it's the fact that the cloth uh, part of his mask changes like that. He's, yeah, it made much more sense in the Marvel movies. Yeah, because there was actual tech in there. And I just I just had to laugh and pat him on the head like that, a boy. Well, the other thing to remember about the whole Spider-Man having tech in his costume, Spider-Man always has a level of tech in his costumes. He has a web shooters, but it depends on the situation he's in. He doesn't like to, like to like, load his stuff down with the best shit. He's not Tony Stark. Tony Stark, like... Oh, this one time I need I needed a blowtorch. Well, I'm going to build a blowtorch in my armor now. It's always in my armor. Like, Tony Stark has... I think even his latest armor still has fucking roller skates in it. Like... It depends on what model, but... But my I'm point just... my point is, is Peter doesn't do that. He doesn't need to do that. He keeps a minimal amount of tech because he doesn't need all that shit. Like, he could, he could like, outfit his suit to always have an insulating level uh, layer of rubber so he's always ready to fire Electro, but then he's always bogged down by another layer. He could always have, uh, he, he could always have, like, his suit, you know, a wetsuit underneath his suit, which he's done once fighting Hydro-Man, but then he's constantly heating up. He, he, he does these things, and he's done these things Ever since he's started, he's always like he tie a rubber mattresses to himself at all times. Like the one time he fought Electro. Exactly, he makes things as he <laughs> needs them as quickly as he needs them. He the part the biggest part of his character is he embodies that you know garage science. Of, yeah, I need this for this one attitude. Yeah, I need this for this one time. I know Ben, but I think you're missing the point that there's literally never been an explanation until he got the Parker industry suit. That's what I was getting at. It's just no one ever thought to bring that up before, but I know from talking to people that they see there that strange. was an earlier suspension. explanation that you forgot. Um, I think it was actually, uh, and the one thing to keep in mind is his eyes changing size and shape didn't really happen a lot in the earlier comics. Like if you read the... Uh, yeah, they did. Oh, well, hold on, hold on. Right. It happened, but not a lot. And it wasn't as exaggerated as we know it today. Um, what I'm saying is it wasn't until McFarlane that it really got, like, really animated. Um, no, it was way before McFarlane. 
No, if you look at Romina Senior, there is some variance in the change of the eye size, but but once once McFarlane got there, it got really big, where where it took up like eighty five percent of the mass sometimes. Well, that's just how McFarlane drew the fucking eyes. Like a good example is the nineteen sixties fucking Batman or Spider Man cartoon. You see his eyes change shape all the fucking time. The reason why his eyes change shape is for expressiveness. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's a, it's a artwork thing. You don't need to explain it. it. It's just, it's a thing, and you understand what he's thinking when you see it. You don't need to belabor the point. That. You get that. What I'm saying is there's a lot of people that I have talked to that say that, not not, and they don't recognize that, that it's just expressive artistic sorry artistic expression of spider-man like holy shit dr ross just dr octopus just threw that engine block and it almost took my head off like i get that we all get that there's some people say that's strange suspension of disbelief in a story about a man that can climb on walls and shoot webs from his hands that's when you set them down you say do you need a coffee do you need a soda are you okay did you have something to eat today well, that's what I'm getting at, Ben, but moving on. But the, to go to the similar point of having to explain something that's it's purely an artistic choice in an artistic visual medium, um, Nightcrawler. Uh, when Nightcrawler first showed up, uh, his face was drawn to where there was always a shadow on his face. Um, and that's just to, to add to his look. And other artists are like, well, we have to explain this. Well, okay, he's part, uh, he, he's half demon. Well, not really demon, but who is technically almost a demon. Da, 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 da. And that's why there's always a shadow on his face. It's like, you don't need to explain it. It's artistic. We get it. It's cool. You know, similar things were done with fucking on the other side of the aisle, DC with Raven, where she always had like her hood always obscured her face. And... Or it was always in shadow like that. Yeah, yeah. And it was artistic. It was a choice that uh, Perez made. And other people tied directly to her lineage with Trigon, which I think is a bit much. Just let artistic choices be artistic choices. I always liked uh, how they expressed Raven's hood and shadow in the Teen Titans and Teen Titans Go animated series where, you know, whatever explanation they had in the story is just artistically it's drawn like it's a mask like kind of a Zorro type of mask that ends about her nose line like that the uh, as far as costumes go like uh, when you talk about Nightcrawler and you know I when I first saw Nightcrawler in like some of those early 70s appearances like giant size and that forward it's how the his the color of his fur and his skin was expressed is i think kind of analogous to how batman was like for years i thought batman just wore blue and gray and then i learned the reason behind that shift was to sh properly show shadows and it's supposed to be an all-black costume they use blue to highlight like the spots where light would be showing or you know off like that and i always thought that was a weird kind of thing and then i remember talking with a art teacher in high school and they thought it was the other way around is they were using black to highlight the blues and all that but that's kind of off topic well uh, great example of that is spider-man's original costume isn't blue and red it's black and red it's blue and red shut the park no up. no the original amazing blue. fantasy 27 is black and red it's blue and red it's black 27. and red 
20. So yeah, go check it out. It's black and red. I guarantee. Amazing you. Fantasy ended at number 15, Ben. Okay, well, you know what I mean. It's uh, Yeah. But the point I'm making is, if you look at the first appearance, it's black and red. I promise it's you. It's blue and red. It's black because it's highlighted with blue. And it looks cooler. But black costs a lot more money than blue ink. That's true. So guess that, what they did? They swapped it, I know. But all, all I'm saying is... Is blue as a as a black highlight has been used for a long time. Clark Kent has always had blue hair, and I feel like I feel like uh, again this is something that's just part of the medium, just the same as Nightcrawler's shadow face and Raven's hood shadow. It's just a part of the visual medium. You you go with it. Like no one ever looks at him. He's like, how come their eyes are so big? It's part of the medium. Roll with it. Yeah. Now, um, one thing I think is kind of a suspension of disbelief, and it's an argument that I definitely was very prevalent back in 2009 when a certain X-Men themed movie came out, was, you know, I remember before that movie and not off-brand Deadpool, you know, has his arm swords come out, and I was like, well, I've certainly seen characters pull shit like that before, but then the arguments start being made. It, it strains suspension of disbelief because, you know, how does his elbows work? And then people would use that argument to argue against Wolverine. It's like, at best, Wolverines, if you go from the wrist to the elbow, and whether you think he... I know there's some people that prefer bio claws, some prefer, you know, the implanted claws, but you could definitely fit Wolverine claws. What's that? Or about hot claws? <laughs> we don't talk about the hot claws, Red. They got rid but, of that quick. Yeah. Hot claws. This, you know, what it was the explanation? His uh, healing factor was working overtime after his resurrection, so he could, whatever. Uh, but I mean, you look at Wolverine. You, you know, you could definitely fit Wolverine style claws from the between the wrist to the elbow. Like, it's possible, and then he's got extra muscles in his arms that, you know, when he flexes his hand a certain way, you know, he can pop his claws. That makes sense in the context of a man who's over 200 years old, and he only looks like he's late 40s, early 50s because of his healing factor, but people still know it breaks suspension of disbelief. No man could have could have a blade stuck inside his body like that, and it was like... Well, that explanation only happened after fucking... What do you call it? X-Men Origins? No. After X, after Magneto ripped the fucking adamantium out of Wolverine's body, and they gave him bone claws. Originally, Wolverine was drawn. Like, I used to have, like, the Marvel Universe handbook and all that shit. Mm-hmm. They were implants. Yeah. He had a whole shaft, like a gun, inside his fucking... Yeah. Yeah, there was... Inside his wrist. There was a sheath and everything. And the other thing to remember is his claw shapes weren't originally fucking giant kitchen knives um they were the, the shape was more cylindrical Branded. yeah cylindrical with with points at the end though um no and, like cat's claws uh, uh, i would say exactly but along that way it it really wasn't until i think well actually if you look at some earlier comics in the late 90s there were some instances where they started looking like kitchen knives but it was really the uh, the singer x-men movies where they you know, from that point on, that in the comics they became full-on kitchen knives. 
You just like the the '90s fucking katana claws, don't you? I always like the which kind of... which one's the katana claws? I don't remember that. The ones that are straight and they have a point at the end, like a katana, like a curve. Oh, you're talking about with the tanto tip. I fucking hate the tanto tip. I actually prefer the needle claws more. I like the way they're demonstrated in the first X-Men movie, specifically in that scene where Logan, you know, has got the guy, he pops his two outer claws and that slow rollout, and they, they still look like knives. Like, I like that look, but then to talk about suspension of disbelief and the straining thereof, like when you see the bone claws in Origins, and it's not like they did any extra work on his arms or his hands. So I'll grant you they were able to pump liquid metal into this man's body and it just perfectly molded over his bones and he didn't have like weird bulbous metal teeth growing out of his maw like that. But you look at the bones. Fucking bones. Yeah. Yeah. But then you, you look at his claws, like how they have like the curves and everything. And they almost look carved with his bio claws. But when he pops them for the first thing, then he's got the Ginsu's. And the other thing I have to add is, and I hate using the origins comic is when he first pops the bone claws in origins comic, they're, they're the needles. I just, I just Mm -hmm. want to point that out that he did originally have the needles in the comic in origins. So, uh, the other, or they ask you, Red, uh, what's something from Marvel specifically that you find strains suspension of disbelief for you in comics? Not really a whole lot. Like, I've been reading comics all my life. Like, I can believe a man in fucking Red Ginch can fly, so. Barely. Nothing about Superman's over, uh breaks you well if you're talking about superman it's actually the opposite of what most people think about superman i don't like it when they depower superman yes as to me that's like as i said this before when me and ben were talking about the superman animated series a long time ago i told ben that Superman, the animated series, was written by a Batman fan that did not like Superman. He didn't, they didn't, Bruce Tim and Paul Dini didn't hate Big Blue. They they just... I didn't say they hated him, I just said they didn't like him. There's a difference. That That is true. It, but I have to say on the inverse that I find that sometimes um, the best people that have ever written Batman... Batman wasn't their favorite. Batman wasn't their sacred crowd. I, I point to uh, there was a JLA run where Morrison was doing it, and to this day, lots of comic book fans say that Morrison wrote the best Batman in a JLA, JLA setting in that run. And Morrison has said famously before he started that run that he found Batman difficult to write, and he wasn't like he he wasn't a Batman fan first. So it was, it was kind of interesting that because he didn't have that adoration to the character that he sort of was able to make it work better than most people who do have the adoration. 
And there's people who fucking hate Batman and do and actually write good fucking good Batman stories like Garth Ennis. In interviews today, these days, he will tell you that Batman is a fucking joke. That he's a lunatic that runs around in a fucking bad costume and punches people at night like a fucking crazy person. But at the same time, he's written some really good fucking Batman stories. What's one of his... Like, he's the same way with the Punisher. He doesn't like the fucking Punisher at all. And And his run on Punisher is considered legendary. there's a character right there that I think definitely uh, strains suspension of disbelief and I mean for listeners who don't know the origin of the Punisher was very much influenced by the resurgence some have called neo-noir although I would not use that title myself of pulp novels in the early to mid 70s and has kind of progressed to one degree or another till today where you have like Mac Boland, the executioner, Stony Man, and such like that. The Punisher came out of this, you know, and initially you could, a lot of people got behind the Punisher because he, he suffered this tragic loss and he decided to spend his life warring on criminals, not in like a certain bat themed vigilante we've talked about already. Well, well, to be completely transparent about the Punisher and his origin, the Punisher was first introduced specifically as an antagonist to Spider Man in the storyline where Spider Man is being hunted down. By this yeah. crazy vigilante, the Punisher was written specifically to be unhinged as fuck. And yeah, if you've ever read any of those books I mentioned, Ben, those guys aren't exactly of sound mind and body either. What, what I'm getting at is, is with the Punisher, there there is that primal of you know no you know what you would do. Somebody, some people would do anything to avenge their families or protect their families, which. I think goes a long way to explain why the Punisher has remained even in the current form of the Punisher, where he is very clearly less of a vigilante and more of a goddamn serial killer more so now than he was initially. But what strains suspension of disbelief for me with the Punisher is he's this criminal killing other criminals. He is a mass murderer. And yet the police never, outside of very specific storylines in the Punisher comics in the 90s or the odd time that he's been roped into some special missions by S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, primarily was G.W. Bridge and then, you know, uh, Nick Fury Jr. in the current comics, is just the fact that no one has ever taken him down. You know, and, and go kind of go back to the Joker or the argument of the Joker. Why isn't the Joker just, why does nobody ever just put a bullet in his head? Why has no one ever attempted to just put a bullet in the Punisher? Well, but it always ends up a we lot. Have, if you, yeah, if but you I'm, fucking read the Punisher. I Many have people have Punisher, tried to. Get... What I'm getting at is, while people certainly take shots at the Punisher, no one very rarely succeeds, and it's always we're going to put him in jail and put him on trial for his crimes because we believe in justice. And then he kills a handful of criminals and a couple of dozen guards, and he just goes back to. Uh, goes back to bait goes back to normal so i i find that there haven't i think it's strange suspension of disbelief there hasn't been more stories or there's lots of catch-alls they use for that uh, the biggest one i remember with the punisher is despite the public perception a good percentage of cops and retired military sympathize and even go out of their way to 
to help him as much as I didn't see you. You weren't here. You have three minutes to get out of here. And this is something I've seen a lot. Even Ennis's run has this happen multiple times with, uh, with Morgan Freeman cop basically doing exactly what I said. Um, Morgan Freeman cop. Yeah, there's a cop that looks like Morgan Freeman from Seven in in Ennis's run. Are you not confusing that with like I think that was like I don't think that was Ennis though because is that the one where he gets like the uh, ginger haired female marine that becomes like the new Lady Punisher? Yes, that's not Ennis. I don't believe that's Ennis. I know the care. I know the run you're talking about pretty well, but I don't. Anyway, uh... Oh, hey, Frank. It's good to see you again. Looks like you're on... You're dating again. <laughs> but, uh... Well, to... You know, just as a very, very quick tangent, I have to point out that for 40 fucking years, writers have been trying to make a female Punisher. And the closest they got... They didn't succeed, but the closest they got was that female Marine. Well, there was the lady Punisher in the 90s. Yeah, that was, that, that was fucking fail. That was, that was full of fucking fail. That's still Lady Punisher, Ben. Uh, what I'm saying is each time they, 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 they failed, and the only time they got close to something that got the same intensity as Frank Castle was that female Marine. Yeah, that was... I'm just looking hey, here. Go ahead, Red. One of the things that, like, going on the Punisher suspension of disbelief is the differences between the DC and the Marvel Universe. See, I can... I can suspend my dif- disbelief that a fucking crazy person in a bat suit is not fucking arrested immediately and put in fucking jail. Why? Because I understand the DC Universe actually worships their fucking superheroes. Marvel, on the other hand, the general public is fucking completely antagonistic towards superheroes and vigilantes. That's true. So... It's hard to fucking believe that people would be on the Punisher's fucking side. That was uh, Greg Rucka that wrote that series you're thinking about, Red. Or Ben, sorry. Okay, fair enough. Um, but the, the point remains is in multiple runs, there's always, especially, um, you know, uh, cops that walk a beat have a, I'll look the other way for two minutes and I'll pretend I didn't see you attitude with the Punisher. Same with retired military, same with active military. They they see him and they're like, oh, yeah, we, we tried to get him, but uh, he, he just was too slick. Or you have that cop from uh, Warzone who's like, come on, pace me once in the face, one time. Yeah. And it turns out right. Detective Soap's working with the Punisher. Here's one that I just came up with. According to Gotham City, the Batman is a mystery. Nobody knows who he is. Blah, blah, blah. He's a dark vigilante and we don't even know if he exists he's on the fucking justice league this is true there was uh, that the the urban legend was one of the editorial mandates of the late 90s uh, editorial mandates was a topic we discussed uh, a couple years ago and there was a strong editorial mandate of we're going to stay the course batman's an urban legend no one has a picture of no one knows if he exists um this is taking pictures with the Justice League. This is strictly because of the runaway popularity of 
of Frank Miller's Batman Year One, where there was a lot of, does he exist? What is he? Is he a vampire? That Year One built up, and everyone was like, wow, this is amazing. Let, let's, let's keep this train going as long as we fucking can. And it went on for too long. Yeah, I mean... The I always dug the the urban legend thing as an idea of plausible deniability, and I kind of like it when they use it nowadays, because I know and it doesn't strain suspension of disbelief, but I know that you know the cops, Commissioner Gordon, is like, oh, how did the Batman uh, help you this time? It's like there is no Batman. We did it. It was solid police work. You know, gives a thumbs up to Harvey Dent. You know, before he becomes Two Face and Bullock, like that. I I like it when they use the urban legend like that, but to, to just totally wholeheartedly say it's an urban legend, just deny, deny, deny. Well, why do you have the bat signal up on the top of GCPD headquarters? We're fucking with the cop, with the criminals, like stuff like that. I like, but it's just when Pete, when writers try to write that that no one believes in Batman or everyone believes in Batman, but no one's seen Batman. It just it's too much of it's not necessarily a good thing but it's just too much of anything and you know it it's too nebulous it's too hard to control it's too hard to articulate properly it, so. as i said they could have kept the they could have kept the urban legend going for a little while but the more and more they were building this intertwined universe with the justice league and batman on teams batman going on different teams it just became harder and harder and harder, but they fought against the inevitability. And that's where the suspension of disbelief broke. Unless you write Gotham City, like kind of how they had Commissioner Gordon in the Whedon cut, where, yeah, Christmas Allen and him were just openly talking about Batman in the bullpen. Clearly, neither of them give that much of a crap about, you know, per, uh, perpetuating the myth that Batman isn't real anymore because fuck it we don't care uh when it comes to or suspension you, of dis or do you like Sorry. it like fucking uh the dark knight return in the dark knight it's like you got any leads on the batman still looking and then it shows his list of suspects it's a picture the original picture of batman and the sasquatch and your inner dad and my I mean, dad that regard elvis okay my dad kind of looks like elvis <laughs> yeah no I, I, in that regard i always love that uh image of have you seen this man from batman 89 it's like the bat with the pinstripe suit and the bat head you know you need more gore under the fangs no uh and something else that i always thought it, it's because the sci-fi aspect of the ninja turtles is so far out there i don't know whether it actually strains suspension of disbelief or just obliterates it wholeheartedly is the concept of mutation, you know, because you, you have several variations, but the, the two main ones is you touch an animal, like, like let's say a turtle, and then the turtle gets mutagen or ooze on it, and it becomes, you know, it takes on the properties of humans. So that is only for the 87 ooze. The other ooze in the, the, the TCRI ooze from the comics just, basically mutates with like an evolutionary slant. That's another one. Yes. But they also use the whole, the last animal I touched. That's so only I 87. Ben, can I finish please? Yes. 
That's 87. They also used that way, a line of thinking with the mutations in the 2012 Nickelodeon series. It's saying the two primary ones is you get the ooze on you and you mutate into a human form, not unlike the 1990 film explanation for how they got goo, they got oozed and they just mutated into vaguely humanoid forms. Then you have, I touched an animal and I get the ooze on me and then I turn into a human version of that animal. Those are the two primary uh, ways of mutation that have been in the Ninja Turtle mythos. Now, I would say the you get oozed and an animal gets oozed and they mutate into a humanoid form strains the suspension of disbelief the least because that at least okay they got this toxic goop on them and it causes this change across the entire you know genetic spectrum of animals but the you know I touch an animal I get oozed and I turn on to that animal doesn't that one I think is a lot trickier and it strains it more because you use the classic 87 animated version where you see Hamato Yoshi try to wipe the ooze off the turtles and then they mutate into their human forms and you would think because well he clearly touched the turtles last he should have also mutated into a turtle form or was there just that much more rat DNA like hair all over his kimono and that's why he mutated into a rat it's almost like it was written for kids We've literally spent the last part of our arguing about stuff that is meant for kids. But, but that's I say. What what do you think? Like I said, I think just you Wasn't get there like and rats you crawling around him. I think so, but I'm not sure. The other thing to keep in mind with uh, with the turtles is if you go all the way back to the original Mirage comics, in the first issue you have the turtles being assassins, taking out the shutter to to honor. Uh, Splinter's fall of master and owner. And then I don't think even 10 issues later you're in space with Triceratops men, so... Well, yeah. And <laughs> I, I know with the animated series, he, he did have rats crawling all over him. I just don't think they were crawling all over him when he was brushing off the turtles. You know, at least it isn't the version we got from the Michael Bay series with its you know atavistic properties as a friend of mine called and it was like what the hell are you talking atavistic properties and he's like remember that dumbass line that baxter stockton says about you know it unlocks the path to our animal ancestors and that's how they explain bebop and rocksteady turning to a warthog and a rhino just it's not like he yeah i remember added that episode, anything to the ooze that's, i remember the episode of the star trek the next generation Anyway, so the mutations are not what bug me and suspend my disbelief. I'm much more practical. What spends, suspends my dick's disbelief is how the fuck do you live in the sewers for 16 years without con contracting dysentery or tinnitus? <laughs> That's a good well, they got they got that healing factor from the mutation, don't you know? <laughs> Has yeah, not one of them cut themselves and got a massive fucking infection? from getting human shit in the fucking wound. <laughs> you, you know, another thing that uh, I think strains uh, suspension of disbelief. Uh, well, two things. One with the 87 series, how did New York not just sink into a goddamn sinkhole with the technodrome carving tunnels into the fucking bedrock? And two, how are there not more stories in any of the comics or the animated series of the fucking 
lizard men that live in the sewers. Like you're telling me, like I'll I'll buy that they found this uh, abandoned, forgotten subway station that they just happen to live in, and it's not like completely sub uh, submerged in water and human excrement. But how did like how do they when not it, like an urban legend? They when are it comes to the subway. When it comes to the subway stations, those actually exist. They were a way to evacuate the presidents of the United States. And also there's one, like one subway, like one tunnel away from the Turtles that has a secret uh, secret train inside with uh, with Peter Parker's dad's last message. Oh, they were neighbors. I didn't even think about that. You know, as, as much as I hate that part of Spider-Man 2, I kind of like the idea of Peter having his own little Batcave type of headquarters. Well, he never used it afterwards. They forgot about it because that movie's called Forgotten Plot Threads 2. Um, yeah. I, I think to talk about, you know, breaking the suspension of disbelief, that movie starts with Peter's mom and dad on a private plane having a born Identity-esque fight in the plane and his dad fighting for his life to send a movie file to a subway train. Why? I, I don't think that breaks suspension of disbelief just as it, it's completely illogical. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I, I might argue for the born supremacy fight because, you know, he's fighting for his life and adrenaline will do things. So maybe that, but... To it would work better if his the, parents were, I don't know, like Secret Service CIA agents or something. But I don't think they ever were that before. Hmm? Yes, but we're also talking about <laughs> those movies. Take off your tiny fedora, Linkara. <laughs> I wasn't trying to. Do, I was Ooh. trying to. I was trying to do a Yoda hmm, there. You, you got to get more of that, you know, at the end there, like that. Uh, also, when you talk about the turtles and some like you see a lot of comics is the abandoned subway station as headquarters. Like I, I'll grant you that there's got to be stuff like that exists in real life, but just the fact that uh, so many of that stuff is uh, used and then they get the the most basic explanations of how they are not discovered. Like, even nowadays, like, they have the Equalizer TV series on CBS right now starring Queen Latifah, and she, her kind of secret headquarters for her friend who's, like, this supreme hacker and he's faked his death and all that was in this walled-off uh, abandoned subway terminus that's underneath the guy's bar. And then he gets busted by the CA, and then he's let out of prison. And you think they would move their operations somewhere else. He's like, no, it's literally like I checked the city records. This place is off the maps. Nobody knows it exists. And we're, well, no one knew it existed the first time, honey. How do you explain that when you guys get busted again? But you have stuff like the Ninja Turtle lairs, the abandoned subway station just happened to be underneath the Wayne Foundation building. There's back in the day when the Wayne Foundation building had that giant ass tree growing up the middle of it. Well, there's lots of things with the. Um... The one thing I am actually willing to, to believe is, you know, lost tunnels systems in major cities. It's actually surprising. If if you ask the right people in New York, they will show you whole homeless villages that's underground in tunnels that haven't been maintained, 
haven't been uh, you know have been lost in a map before it's it's a known thing and the another great example is even talk about an even older city the reason why we don't have skyscrapers in paris is because of the catacombs and the catacombs are such a mess they literally tell people don't go down there we don't know we don't have a fucking map you will die in there if you go down there and we won't find you so like how kids used to go down in the sewers in the 90s trying to find the ninja turtles well, that's the other thing is uh, near where I li lived growing up, there was a huge network of uh, of uh, drainage tunnels. And it, th this isn't even sewer tunnels. These are drainage tunnels. And me and my friend Brian went in there once, and we, we spent two hours just walking around in there. And it was tall enough that, you know, when I was that age, I was like uh, 14, I was already six foot tall, and I was able to move around standing upright. So tunnel systems that are poorly that are poorly documented is the easiest thing to believe out of that. The 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 Z stuff is much more higher on the list in my opinion. All right. Also, where do the Ninja Turtles go to the bathroom? Well, uh, Donatello... Is there part animals? Do they just shit wherever they're fucking standing? No, they... they... Do they use toilet paper? They do, and uh, they actually... They shower, and they put, like, a towel around their waist, even though they're naked most of the time. And just think about underground headquarters. Like, uh, did you guys ever read Immortal Iron Fist when uh, Fraction and Brubaker started that title years ago? Like, not, uh, not really. the in okay well they introduced the character of uh orson randall who's like the i believe he was the iron fist that immediately preceded danny in the lineage of the iron fist and his dad was like this batshit crazy uh millionaire because after it was the early 1900s and no one had even conceived of being a billionaire yet and he had this whole steampunk lab abandoned subway station facility that somehow no one ever found in the history of the marvel universe even though shield purports to know every secret in the marvel universe i it's, it's not suspension of disbelief it just it, it makes me smile that such something so gloriously ludicrous can exist that people don't know about well the problem is the in my opinion is the sheer uh, quantity of underground tunnels, especially in Marvel New York, because Marvel New York, quite frankly, is has a superhero overpopulation problem. Um, I think there's someone did a uh, fictional census once just to figure it out, and if you take all the Marvel heroes that have a you, you know live in New York, have residency in New York. And figure out where they live and what the square, you know, every square block. It's like there's at least five superheroes every square block. Like Marvel New oh, York should that <laughs> If you count the, even even like the the low tier guys, if you like put in like Hellcat and Prowler and all the other like D listers, then it gets that high. Darkhawk. Exactly. But but my point remains is. 
New York should be like the most crime-free city ever. All you need is like the heroes decide every night, oh, it's 7 o'clock. Let's just everyone go out and stand on your roofs at 7 o'clock. If you see a crime, stop it. And like if if they all did that like every day, there would be no crime in New York. It, it's, it's ridiculous that that the fact that yeah. New York is so overpopulated with superheroes, it still has crime. That, no, you don't well, understand the rules. I'm Batman. You've got to stay on my territory. Superman, stay away from Gotham. Gotham's mine. Well, yeah. But to, to pivot kind of a little bit or uh, bounce off of what you said there, Ben, with the overpopulation specifically, you know, go back to the old Marvel handbook talking about New York. And the, I remember this map image of just like the island of Manhattan. And like it, maybe not New York would be totally crime free, but Manhattan should be a goddamn utopia with all the fucking superhero residences that are packed on the island. I mean, you got the Fantastic Four, you have the Avengers, Doctor Strange, Matt Murdock, you know, all these heroes. Matt Murdock lives in Hell's Kitchen. Well, at one point, his offices, I think it was when him and Foggy uh, worked for, was it Rosalind Sharp, like Foggy's mother who gave him up for adoption? It's a thing in the comics, folks. Check it out. Uh, like, I just remember this image, and, like, the southern half of Manhattan was just filled with, like, superhero and supervillain locations. You had, like, you know, headquarters for the Masters of Evil, the Frightful Four, the Latvarian Embassy, like... There shouldn't be any problems on the island of Manhattan because somebody there knows how to levitate an engine block with their mind or can talk to goddamn insects. I'm just like, wow. Well, the other thing to keep in mind with that is other writers tried to do the territory thing, and it's clunky. A great example of this is I remember I was reading... I don't know why the fuck I was, but I was reading like one of the newer Miles Morales series. I think it was the third or fourth one before they rebooted it again because of sales. And, they, and number one always boosts sales until it stops doing that. Um, where Miles sees uh, webbed up bad guys in one neighborhood and there's a Peter leaves his customary note. And Miles says something like, said something like, man, I told Peter this side of town's my turf or something like that. I'm like, well, he stopped the bad guys. It's also bullshit because Miles operates in Harlem, and there's one fucking superhero that operates in Harlem. Luke, Luke Cage? Cage, not the Falcon. Wouldn't that make it two? Well, one main superhero, and that's Luke Cage. That's true, and but like I said, it's it, like, would you look down on getting help, like, because of turf? No. Miles is a kid, though, so it's more a, you know, pissing contest at that point. But but the point remains is anytime someone tries to do superhero turf, it comes off as either clunky, weird, or retarded. Um, another great example is there was a comic that was done in the 90s where Superman winds up facing or meeting a black superhero in what Metropolis has. That's almost like Metropolis Harlem. They call himself Muhammad X and Muhammad X had like gravity powers. Muhammad X basically said to Superman, we don't need you here. We don't like you here. You're white. And the second you show up here, other supervillains are going to show up here. And I was like, 
are you, are you, are you stupid? Okay, see, I thought you were wrong about that. Uh, except there, there's Muhammad X in DC, and then there's, uh, isn't it like Isaiah Bradley's son or one of his first grandsons? Patriot also used the code. Yeah, didn't he also call himself Muhammad X in that uh, the crew where they did like a pulpy black and white comic featuring like Rhodey and other urban hero characters? Just say black heroes, urban heroes. You sound like you're like like a like film okay, producers. Okay, I misspoke one time, Ben. I'm not trying to be racist. I apologize. They, there's this thing called the urban market. The urban market. I know they like movies. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> My point is, I thought there was a character called Muhammad X in Marvel. It's Isaiah X. Okay, but. Uh, Point remains is Superman's there. Superman is helping. And this guy shows up all about turf. And turns into a race thing against Superman, who's not even white. He's Kryptonian. He's a citizen of the world. Oh, we're going by that now. If you want to get into it, he looks Jewish. (laughs) Because he was created by... Jewish fucking writers. And, well, also the Jewish writers that originally created him at first drew him to look like Clark Gable, but that's another story. That's another show. Um, But the point remains is Superman's here, Superman's helping. As soon as a villain crosses a street border, is Superman supposed to stop and say, whoop, out of my hands? No. But he does. Yeah. Because, but according to Batman, that's how he should always act. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Superman could save lives all across the fucking world, but he's not allowed to save a life from Gotham. That's <laughs> Batman's territory. Okay, that's an editorial mandate, and, and I agree with like you about that. Acro- it's literally across the river from fucking Metropolis. It depends. Superman has super hearing where he can hear everything across the world, and he's got to listen to the people in Gotham City, suffer and cry and fucking call out for a fucking hero. And he's got to cover, fucking put his fingers in his go, la, 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 I can't hear you, Gotham. I'm sorry. Batman won't let me in there. Sorry. See, that that's some Superman's powers. That's another suspension of disbelief problem I had. Just he, he, he said dozens of comics, animated series, you know, he had to train to uh ignore a power like you know everything with his enhanced senses but i mean if he can literally hear everything around the world like i don't know does he use like kryptonite earplugs when he goes to bed because i i don't care how tough you are like that would make clark Kent even more absent-minded and klutzy if he's constantly trying to uh sublimate all the stimuli that he is receiving from like sight taste sound smell well you know if he's so supremely powerful how how does he not just like walk into an open elevator shaft on a regular basis yes jt superman can taste your fucking muddy butt when you're having a sweaty day <laughs> it's just it's fucking superman's ability but but the point is is that's the sort of thing we shouldn't be labor ourselves in it's uh 
<laughs> and going back to what we were discussing earlier about about the turf, it's like the Muhammad X comic was very clunky because they turned into a race thing and a turf thing. And and anytime you do that, it's gonna be clunky. And every time you try to appear like you're like you're trying to bring up a big social issue, you're gonna look like a retard. Um, and we're talking about suspension of disbelief, not social issues, though. Okay, that's, two different things. okay, that's that's true. That's true. I got to remember that fucking Muhammad X comic. I fucking got mad. Um, but originally we were talking about how New York has an overpopulation of superheroes, and they have so many of them in there that they each one could practically like quote unquote own a city block. And you know, at least at the very least, like JT said, Manhattan should be pretty much crime free. Um, the other thing I want to talk about about that was uh, is whenever you have a superhero introduce a big piece of technology, then the question becomes, how come the world is still the same? You know, Tony Stark inventing well, clean, clean, perpetual power. Well, why is everyone driving cars? Um, or, or even in DC side where Metropolis literally became the city of tomorrow with 30th century technology. And it's like, well, why doesn't someone take this technology and like study and like start inventing shit that makes our world better today? It, it's sort of like these weird rules of, oh no, it's only for the superhero. We don't give it to anybody else. They've tried to oh. explain this and it gets really fucking clunky and, in fucking comics when people try to explain it and a good example is reed richards reed richards has literally stated in a comic i've cured cancer but i will not give out the cure because people are going to take it and turn it into the next diabetes and the that's actually funny because the same thing happened with uh Wakanda. Wakanda says, we have the cure to cancer, but we're not going to give it to the world because the world can turn into a weapon. And you're like, that's fucking stupid. And then like two months later, someone took the cure for cancer and used it as a weapon against Deadpool. Yeah, I talking about the, the city of tomorrow with like the flight, the floating skyscrapers and all that. And you know, something they did have there that they did use to, uh, you know, quote-unquote, help the people is they had these, uh, I, re I don't know why I remember this, but they had these uh, green algae-based, like, mutant life forms that apparently scour the sewer pipes clean and then are caught, killed, processed, and pressed into patties and turn into a substance that tastes remarkably like chicken. They're, they were literally, you know, if you have a problem with the rat burger from the Demolition Man, then you definitely don't want to eat any burgers in Metropolis at this time, because you're literally eating a shit burger. And yet, apparently, people like that shit. Well, well, that was also a running joke in Star Trek, that people would eat the fucking food from the, what do you call it? Replicators. From the replicators, and go, oh, this food is shitty, it sucks. And then they ruined it in Star Trek Discovery. Because yeah. they literally said, it's made out of our shit. <laughs> well, 
well, they, I would have gone on a Gandhi-style hunger strike after to, that. To, to be completely fair to Discovery, and I hate saying this, is it was actually in Voyager that they first talked about how they would take matter, waste matter, they even said, and reconstitute it into, quote, energy to be replicated later. Um, they have a hydroponics garden on Voyager. It was about the size of a of like a beginner's pot garden in in a closet. Yeah, you weren't feeding anybody with those that fucking thing. Red knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> except for what's your face with the fucking elf ears where she was eating bugs. <laughs> but, yes. Yeah. But like I said, that's the funniest thing is that they did have a pider part, but it was like two shelves. It was two shelves. Like I said, it was like it was like baby's first pot garden. Also explain where Neelix got all the vegetables, quote unquote, that he they put into They fucking his... traded every time they they found like a space station. They did like every time they found a space station, Neelix would go and start trading shit for fresh vegetables and fruit. Like they did five episodes where okay. Neelix did that. I I have something that I want to say, and this totally breaks any suspension of disbelief that I have in the prime directive of Star Trek. How is Captain Janeway, Admiral Janeway, by their own fucking rules, she has violated the quote-unquote Geneva Convention of the Prime Directive so many fucking times in the course of her career. She should be fucking Adams in the cosmic I winds have, right now. I have a fan theory on this, and I admit this is completely fan theory. And hear me out. Okay. The, the, the Dominion War just ended. Everyone in Starfleet, everyone in the Alpha Quadrant is demoralized as fuck. They won, but like they won a almost pure victory, and everyone's fucking rebuilding. And here comes Janeway. And Janeway, at first, at first glance, she has a heroic st story of her and her crew hanging on and coming back by their own will. And then they read the logs, they're like, "Holy fuck, this is fucked up." So they're like, "Okay, you know what? Let, let's Did massage she just the truth. Wipe out the fucking board." <laughs> let's massage the truth let, let, let's 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 edit the story a little bit let's make it to where let's make it a little bit more pg-13 and we'll just say she was a hero and to to keep the image of her being a hero to the public to the federation citizens that just went through a fucking four-year-long war they turned janeway into an on-paper hero promoted her to an office where she can't do any more damage and with like, and everything was solved. They did a fucking Oliver North. That that's my fan theory. And that that kind of works, and it it basically works twice because then we have to remember the previous timeline where they got back, but they didn't have the uh, hyperspace bypass shortcut that they used in the series finale, where and she's still a fucking admiral or commodore or whatever yes so and even it's just i i've I, never like i sorry you i can ahead. get i can get them forgiving there for breaking the prime directive several times in order to, for her crew to survive what suspends my disbelief is her getting away with fucking wiping out the borg genocide i get i get the borg were fucking the federation's enemy but it's still against Federation policy because they're not an army; they're fucking they're explorers. And it was and, a genocide. 
And that's the thing a, is, go ahead, Red. And causing a mass fucking genocide and getting away with it and not being demoted for it yeah. or just plain kicked out of fucking Starfleet suspends my de- definition. Well, like I said, well, I have I have the fan theory because they did not have a great Starfleet hero from the Dominion War. The great Starfleet heroes like vanished or, or like like Cisco became God. So they can't turn him into the big hero of the of the Dominion. Cisco wiped out a fucking planet. Cisco wiped out more than one planet. Innocent people. People were like, Captain, there's innocent people there. Do it. (laughs) Fucking wipe them all out. Because I'm the goddamn Cisco. (laughs) He fucking did that. You're right. But he he fucking did that. You're right. And and, uh, you shouldn't quote that guy. That guy's fucking awful. Um. Um, point remains is Cisco is the closest thing to a wartime hero. Um, the fucking Federation gave Picard like fucking uh, like fucking Aaron Boy jobs during the Dominion War because they didn't want him on the front line for some fucking reason. Um, like we want to invite, have you invite these like weird dwarf people into the Federation, even though we're having a middle fucking war. We're sending you to archaeological digs with we're in the middle of fucking war. Well, I mean, you're, you're in a sovereign class mean. starship, one of the most powerful starships we've built. But you know what? We don't trust you fighting, so we're going to send you on errand boy tasks. I mean, here's the thing, Ben. As far as Janeway goes, she would have ended up in the same prison that uh, Michael Burnham would have ended up in. Something would have happened where they need her specific area of expertise, and after two successful missions, she would have been welcomed back into the fold. And then she would have gotten, can you imagine what the future would be like if Janeway got thrown a thousand years into the future and is working with that the future Starfleet that they have in Discovery? Well, oh my God, she would be unstoppable. You know what the penal colony is in for Starfleet officers in Star Trek? The Star Wars holiday special? No, it, it's New Zealand. They send everyone to New Zealand. Yeah. You have to go to the land of uh, Power Rangers for seasons uh, eight through twelve. <laughs> no, this is true. Because um, that's in the first episode of fucking Voyager that Janeway went to New Zealand to recruit Tom Paris to to be their guide to the Maquis. It's it's just one of those weird things of yet. Yeah, they turned New Zealand into a penal, penal colony because doing it to Australia would seem a little too on the nose. No, they'd suggested Australia, and then there was an Aussie on the Starfleet Council just sitting there, arms <laughs> crossed, leaning forward and glaring at the Chancellor like, that's very funny. <laughs> but again, it's um, I, I hate saying Fanon is a good explanation for things, but that's my Janeway theory. That's just a theory. There is a lot of fucking plot holes in 90s Trek. I'm sorry. People yep. fucking love it and they think it's the greatest fucking shit ever. But there are a lot of plot holes. I'm sorry. Captain Sisko getting away is wiping out a fucking planet. And not getting fucking demoted or punished or anything for it. It's fucking retarded. And people love the shit out of fucking Sisko even though he fucking did that. Well, they wanted him. Although I, he got rid of. Like a, having fucking Worf being a captain of a fucking ship, who constantly goes, 
ramming fucking speed is fucking stupid. Uh, Captain, I'm not a Klingon. I don't believe uh, it's still a core. Believe it's still a core or any of your religious beliefs. Could you please not ram our fucking ship into the side of the fucking fork? Can I can I go Although, into the escape pod first? Get I can do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. Although with the uh, Cisco wiping out a planet, well, I believe the context is red. I I feel compelled to say this. he he did destroy a planet, but I don't think anyone died because that was like a Maquis base. I think they had enough time to get people out. No, but yeah, he did destroy a planet because he was pissed off at Eddington uh, at the guy, and they turned it into a whole uh, Les Misérables allegory. Because apparently Cisco uh, was the cop that couldn't let it go. And then, and then you had uh, Russell Crowe show up and sing a song about uh, about a thief in the night. And I'm pretty sure they explained that only that guy that Cisco was after escaped, and everybody else on the fucking planet died. There's lots of other atrocities in in Star Trek, like uh, like there's there's well, Picard has done multiple times being like, well, we can't help this pe- these people survive this cataclysm. We can only watch them slowly die. Even though back in TOS, uh, Kirk has said to Spock once, yes, they, the, the people would be altered if we save them, but saving them is better than them fucking dying, even if they get altered by us touching them. And Spock says that's logical. Like, that was TOS, where we're, where Kirk's basically saying, look, it's fucking life. We don't fucking let people die just so we can scientifically watch them die. And Spock's like, you're and right, Captain. For, that makes sense. For some of our younger reasons, that's basically Kirk's equivalent of saying, fuck the police. Well, keep in mind this. Kirk is not as much of a maverick as people think he is. Like... Like, if you watch TOS, Kirk actually follows orders and follows the rule of of Starfleet regulations pretty closely. Except when he's convincing a bunch of Indians that he's a fucking god. He had amnesia. <laughs> and that's, that's the same... His excuse, that's his excuse to Starfleet. And uh, that was... I had amnesia? I had a yeah. boo-boo. And that was also the same episode with the line I was talking about, about how it's better to save people than let them get wiped down. That's just watching... Well, how many times has Picard been like, oh, yeah, we're just going to fucking watch? I think there was this, uh, some sort of Starfleet space historian who's given Kirk the gears after the time he fought those aliens with Space Lincoln. <laughs> well, Space Lincoln, they, that, that was a very interesting episode because there was Space Lincoln, there was Space uh, Kalos, and, uh, and Space uh, Surak. What, what do you think uh, strains suspension of disbelief more, as I think we can kind of start to round this up, Space Lincoln or the concept of uh, the mirror universe in that evil versions of certain characters will have facial hair? That just see, to, Somehow that makes them evil. Well, let me start there. Is Only Spock had a goatee. Everyone else looked the same except for Sulu had a big old scar on the side of his face. No one talks about the Sulu scar. Everyone talks about Spock's goatee. Because it was so damn fine. <laughs> um, the whole facial hair equals evil 
really was fans blowing that one thing up. Um, it's like, and he can't even do it for most things. Like a great example of this is uh, Megas XLR did this episode called, you know, Rearview Mirror Mirror, where evil Coop is, is the villain. And Coop already had like a goatee. Yeah, but I think in that version, the goatee, if you will, is the fact that uh, Evil Coop was kind of jacked and in shape versus our lovable hero Coop, who is a two-ton roly-poly fun boy. Uh, just as a side, that episode is fantastic, if not for the extended version of the opening they play in the middle of the battle. Well, that's the best part of any good animated series when... The good guy is going into battle and you hear his theme song. <laughs> um, like I said, that's just the good aside. Uh, there's a lot to say about, about you know, expectations. And Mechas is a good example of this is you, you start the show and you know nothing is going to be serious. There's literally the same button I pressed five minutes ago. Well, that entire series is nothing but an, an, a work of suspension of disbelief in a lot of ways because of the tropes and everything that it mocks and celebrates all at the same time. All I'm saying is it depends entirely on the medium and how it's presenting itself. Um not everything has to be Christopher Nolan-esque, hyper, you know, gritty and realistic visually. Sometimes you can have things being bright, colorful, and fun. And if you present the story properly all the way through it, your suspension leaf doesn't break. A great example of this is going back to James Gunn's uh, The Suicide Squad. Um, when Starro breaks out of, uh, out of the tower... Because of the tone the whole movie was in, you don't go, hey, wait a minute, why is a giant purple-colored starfish here all of a sudden? That's it, I'm out. No, no, you're good, because the whole movie had that tone. All right. Um, I, I want to ask you guys one, one thing that kind of strains or almost breaks your suspension of disbelief as we kind of wrap it up here. For me, it's uh, whenever... You know, I kind of talked about it earlier at the beginning of the show with Daredevil is when a hero or villain shoots a grapple line off into the distance and we do not we, we just accept the fact that it's going to connect and hook on to something and they are not going to plummet to their deaths. That never bothered I, me. That that's something that's always on a low level kind of bothered me and strained my suspension disbelief. You know, specifically Spider-Man and like especially the 67 series where he apparently is there are just a shit ton of blimps or helicopters flying through the air because it literally looks like he's webbing off of clouds. So I'll ask he you guys webs to Florida. Yeah, that too. <laughs> but like I said, I'll ask you guys, what's something in comic books that, you know, strains strains your suspension of disbelief, but you also kind of like that along those lines? As we oh, we have to kind of like it. Yeah. Oh, okay, fuck. I like Batman, yeah. even though the whole idea of how he always just dumps his villains in, Go in Arkham 
doesn't make a lot of sense. It, it, the whole, the whole, you know, Batman doesn't last long with a lot of scrutiny. And I agree with Red on this. I still am a big fan of Batman. Um, I always will be, and I always have been. But I have, I think, enough foresight to say, you know, if it goes on too long, it doesn't work. Red? Kind of like it? Yeah. You have to kind of like it. If, if, if it wasn't for that stipulation, I would say fucking Big Wheel. I fucking hate Big Wheel and it doesn't make fucking sense. Yeah, but you hate everything, Ben. That's why I specifically worded it like that. Well, if it was just all out hated, I'd bring up the manga fucking end of the world harem. But... Oh, Jesus Christ. Go for it. Go for it. <laughs> but that's why I don't hate it. It's something I kind of have to like. Well, the art's nice. I don't know, like... Like, Alfred just... You, you would think, at some point, Alfred... I, I don't care how much you love somebody, at some point, Alfred would have had to have just said, you know, fuck you, Master Wayne, I'm out after he bandaged up Batman for, like, the one millionth time. Well, Tinker t Taylor, Dr. Spy. Well, it's kind of like Ben said. I'll, I'll use Batman as an example. I'm not one of those people that say, "Well, oh, Batman should uh, hand out everybody's money. And, uh, it, it'll make everything better." Uh, no, I'm one of these people who believe that Batman could use his money in a, in a much better fucking way instead of making gadgets that help him fuck up people in an alleyway. He he could put like the Joker in the off in Arkham and go, hmm. Maybe I should hire some fucking psychological experts from around the fucking world. And maybe I should give uh, Arkham Asylum a few million dollars to update the place so it doesn't look like the fucking 1930s Alcatraz. Or a Victorian-era mansion of some sort. Like, just use his money to improve the facilities and actually help his fucking villains instead of, you know sitting there on his bat monitor refreshing the fucking page to see when fucking joker escapes so he can go beat up joker again that's a big what's that's a big problem that i always said that i if i ever had editorial control of the bat books i would put a five-year moratorium on the joker you cannot use the joker for five years um i just used the example of the joker like you'd sit there and fucking wait for professor crane to escape i don't give a shit which fucking villain just one villain escapes, and he's out there, and he's out fucking punching the shit out of him, and putting him back in fucking Arkham. That's true. But Instead of actually, like, he, a lot of his villains are people with mental health problems, and he could use his money to help them with those mental health problems. But there, he doesn't. There, there are comics in the past where he has donated money to Arkham, and Arkham has improved their facilities, and even in other media, like the Arkham games had, the first game said that, like, all the security gates were built by Wayne Enterprises, etc., etc. But um, that's belaboring a point like, with nitpicking. Like, fuck the security gates. There are experts on fucking mental health all over the fucking world. And you could pay money to fly them into fucking Gotham to help these fucking people out. But you don't. Plus, you don't let Superman fucking help in, in Gotham. So people of Gotham 
have to suffer looking across the river, looking at this pristine, bright city that glows in the fucking dark, that is completely fucking safe, while they're wallowing in shit. Let's end the show there. It's, uh, um, <laughs> um, so we talked about suspension of disbelief and uh, continue the narrative and and how much the medium needs to succeed. Um, this show's Ben. JT from Saskatoon. Reading. We're saying goodnight. So long. Stereo Gotham. I prove the city believes in good. <laughs>